The Daily Rios Digest, Volume 2, Saturday, April 22nd, 2023. Good. Status and situation, Rios. Hey everybody, this is your host Peter with the 42nd Digest of this second volume covering Monday, April 17th through Friday, April 21st, 2023. Last week's Digest on the Thursday segment, I gave you updates on a few creators that were in need of some support for health reasons and also talked about some recent passings, etc. So I thought for this opening segment here for this new week, why not flip that sentiment and give creators a shout out for celebratory reasons, namely for their birthdays. I probably won't do this every month, but here it is. Uh, I got it in my mind to do this in response to that segment last week, and I thought it could be a fun way to kick off uh, this new uh, new digest for this new week. So here you are, just a handful of some birthday celebrations that are happening throughout the month of April. Starting off on April 1st, the birthday for James Robinson. Also on April 1st, Brad Meltzer. On April 2nd, Todd Nock. On April 4th, Bob Rosakis, also Dave Johnson. On April 5th was the birthday for Art Adams. April 9th, Gerard Way. April 10th, Scott Hampton. On April 12th, J. Scott Campbell and Mark Brooks both born in 1973, so they are celebrating 50 years. Also on April 12th, we have Raphael Albuquerque and Amanda Connor. April 14th, we have Daniel Klaus and Dave Gibbons. April 20th, we have John Ostrander. April 22nd, Steve Englehart, Marie Javins, Brian Hitch, and Yannick Paquette. And on April 25th, the writer and researcher of Marvel Saga that I'm covering every other digest. April 25th is the birthday for Peter Sanderson. And I also have a few comic book birthdays that are pulled from one of the DC calendars. Whether this has remained consistent, I have no idea. But apparently in April... Uh, three of my favorite DC characters are celebrating birthdays. So we have April 10th, the birthday of uh, Dino, Dinah Drake Lance, the Golden Age Black Canary, uh, and then who eventually became the, you know, Earth One Black Canary, but then it became, you know, then, then they separated mother and daughter. But anyway, um, so April 10th, uh, the Golden Age Black Canary. April 21st is the birthday of Phantom Girl, Tina Wazo, and then April 26th, apparently the birthday for Donna Troy. How great is that? So again, I have no idea if those birthdays stick, but it was fun to see a list of April birthdays and catch those three. All right, there you go. I, again, I don't know if I'm going to ever do this again, but I thought it would be a fun way to open up this Monday segment on a fun, positive uh, direction. And if you are an April birthday as well, maybe one of these creators shares your birthday.
Timeline Trivia Tuesday for the month of April. So when I do a Timeline Trivia Tuesday segment, this is my way to dig back 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Strap yourselves in because I'm also going to do 40, 50, and 60 as well, all in one. So this could be a long segment. So uh, basically what this is, is comic history, first appearances, first issues, maybe some creator celebrations, just a way to dig into some anniversaries uh, to celebrate celebrate uh, comic history. And then what I do for each decade is give you a trivia question based on something that came out that particular year. What I'm going to do today when it comes to the trivia questions is I'm going to wrap into this segment a third uh, idea, if you will, because today, April 18th, we are celebrating the 85th anniversary of Superman. So all your trivia questions are going to be Superman related, whether that means creators, uh, titles, maybe some supporting character stuff. So all of the trivia questions, all six of them, uh, I think there's actually seven. I think there's going to be seven. You'll see. Um, but all the trivia questions are going to be centered around Superman in honor of 85 years of Action Comics number one. So let's start. Let's begin. Here we go. Ten years ago, April of 2013, we have Jupiter's Legacy 1 of 5 by Mark Miller, Frank Quitely. Uh, they worked together on an authority run in the 2000s and then they worked again for Jupiter's Legacy. The first few issues of this uh, opening story arc explored a generational conflict between a group of aging superheroes known as the Union who used their powers that they gained in 1932 for the betterment of mankind, especially their leader known as the Utopian. And then it's basically a generational saga with their children who are more or less not into the whole prospect of living up to their parents' legacy. And then there would be some spinoffs, Jupiter's Circle, that had two volumes. We had a second volume for Jupiter's Legacy. There was a Requiem miniseries. And apparently it's the longest running concept in the Miller World line of books. There was a Netflix series, although it got canceled after one season because of, well, mixed reviews, <laughs> uh, to, be, to be generous, I guess you could say. I didn't realize that there also was a spinoff from that show, an animated uh, series called Super Crooks that is set in the same universe and that was released on Netflix in uh, 2021. Also from Image 10 years ago, Invincible expands with another title, Invincible Universe Number 1. That would last 12 issues and it would spin out of Invincible 100. That was by Phil Hester, Todd Nock, and company. Speaking of Todd Nock, right, from the first segment. Um, this featured Invincible, the Guardians of the Globe, Tech Jacket, the Astounding Wolfman. It sounds like it incorporated all of Kirk, Kirkman's properties into one title. For Marvel, we had Thanos Rising, number one of five, by Jason Aaron and Simone Bianchi. 
exploring the origins of Thanos, and this was during Marvel's Marvel Now um, branding. From DC, this was the month that DC decided to do surprise gatefold covers. Initially, they called it WTF Certified, like what the F certified, I guess, and then they dropped that name, and all their covers, I guess it was probably on most of their titles, not all of them, they would have the main cover image, and then you would pull out the gatefold, and there would be a, some kind of like surprise. Maybe it was like a character reveal, a character we hadn't seen so far in the New 52, or some kind of situation. So your question, your first Superman question, coming from 10 years ago, April 2013, is about Action Comics number 19, which was released during the second year of the New 52 era. I talked last time about how Grant Morrison wrapped up his Action Comics run with issue 18. So your question, name the writer who immediately followed Morrison for three issues on Action Comics. Let's go 20 years ago, April of 2003. And the first thing I'm going to do is point you to an episode that I released in the very first year of the Daily Rios between 2012 and 2013. Uh, It would be the Daily Rios for April 22nd, 2013, because that was a Timeline Tuesday episode. And at that time, um, 2003 was 10 years ago. So I already covered a few things there that you might want to hear about, like Beware the Creeper miniseries, the Orbiter hardcover, or the Marvel Tsunami line of books that came out. So that's going to happen, right? Now that I'm already 10 years older in this podcast, if I do comic history, I think I talked about this before, it's kind of hard to do even 10 years ago. Uh, because I was I was talking about books that were coming out in 2013 as I was podcasting in 2013. And then if I did comic history, the first thing I celebrated was 10 years ago. Well, now those books are 20 years. So what I'm going to do is listen to those old segments and see if there's anything I didn't cover. And I do have a few things that I did not cover that first time around. So, And this is also going to happen in the, what is it, I think the 60 years ago segment as well, because 10 years ago, I was talking about books that were celebrating 50 years. So, you know, it gets a little confusing. Anyway, here we go. 10 years ago, or excuse me, 20 years ago, April of 2003, a few things that I did not cover that in that initial episode. We start with Flash 197 by Jeff Johns and Scott Collins, featuring the first time Hunter Zolomon turned into the new reverse Flash, known as Zoom. The character of Hunter already appeared, but this was a whole origin story uh, and the whole, you know, revamp of the reverse Flash character. And this would lead us into Flash 200. Also 20 years ago, Fantastic Four number 68 was part one of the unthinkable story, which means that issue 67 was the prologue, so I'm not sure why I missed that. This is by Mark Wade, Mike Waringo, Carl Kiesel, and 
if you have not read this story, it is really good. It's Doctor Doom doing something that um, maybe he hadn't he hadn't done to a certain degree up to this point, where he's using magic and calling in a favor for helping give birth to Valeria, and it becomes this whole thing about Franklin gets sent to hell. We hear Valeria's first word, and her first word is doom, because at this time, she's a child, uh, or, or, or a toddler, whereas now she's older. Um, the, the team has to go up against doom, Reed has to study and try to understand magic, which goes against everything that his science brain is, Doctor Strange makes an appearance, and by the end, something happens to Reed that connects him even more to Doctor Doom. You have to read it to find out. But it's a really good story. And it's sort of like a part one. Uh, Unthinkable is kind of like part one. And then there's a second story and a third story to wrap up wrap up the whole Wade run. Uh, yeah, really good time to read Fantastic Four back 20 years ago. All right, your question comes from Superman Red Sun number one of three, which was released 20 years ago in April of 2003. This was an Elseworld story by Mark Miller, Dave Johnson, there's that name again, and company. The whole premise behind this story was what if Superman landed in the Soviet Union instead of in America, in the heartland of America. Now, Mark Miller takes credit for this idea, but on a recent CGS episode, we decided to talk casually about Gotham by Gaslight by Brian Augustin and Mike Mignola and company. And when you read information about how that story came together, especially in the deluxe edition of that story, uh, Brian Augustin seems to remember that, you know, they came to Mark Wade and they said, we need an origin story for an annual Mark Wade was like, all right, I, I, I've told so many origin stories. What can I do differently? And he, and he said, what about if I told alternate origin stories? And they started rattling ideas out. And Brian Augustin seems to recall that Mark Wade talked about what if Superman landed in Russia. Uh, and then eventually all of that would become, you know, the Elseworlds line. So I don't know, you know. There's there's two stories there. Anyway, your question from Superman Red Sun. Which member of the Superman supporting cast in their Russian counterpart was responsible for turning the boy who would become this version's Batman into an orphan? Basically, who shot this orphan's parents in Superman Red Sun? It is a Superman supporting cast member. All right, let's go 30 years ago, April of 1993, starting off with Infinity Crusade number one of six by Jim Starlin, Ron Lim, and company. This is the third of a trilogy of titles, starting with Infinity Gauntlet and then Infinity War, all about the goddess who is Adam Warlock's uh, good, good side, I guess you could say, trying to bring peace and love to the universe, stopping all crime. Captain America and Spider-Man are on her side, but then you have Thanos and Mephisto on the other side. And then basically heroes turn against each other. Her true goals become apparent. Adam Warlock has to find out why, and then there's a whole crisis of faith 
going on. I've never read it. That's just part of what I've read from the blurb. Um, in fact, I didn't read War either. The only one I've read is Infinity Gauntlet. Also, 30 years ago, April of 1993, we have X-Men Unlimited number one, the first of 50 issues that would run quarterly, telling, you know, different stories about the X-Men universe. It actually was a pretty good, as far as a quarterly series go goes, there were a number of stories in there that were relevant or that they would purposely put in there because it connected to whatever whatever else was going on in the X-Men line. So I like that run. We had, uh, let's see, Marvel's Heavy Hitters started in March. So I missed it for March, but I'm going to talk about it here in April. It was an imprint of the Epic line of comics. It was initiated by Carl Potts, and it was a response to Vertigo, you could say. Marvel obviously had lost a whole bunch of creators to Image, and DC had started Vertigo's line, and Marvel needed something to compete, so they came up with heavy hitters. In March, we had titles such as Bratz Bazaar, Dragon Lines, also by Ron Lim, and Law Dog. In April, we had Joe Kubert on tour, Midnight Men by Howard Chaikin. We had another Trouble with Girls title and something called The Untamed. And then in May, we would get another Alien Legion book. We would get a title called Feud, something called Offcasts and Spike. And then later on in the year, we would get Saxon Violins by Peter David and George Perez, Terrorists, and uh, a book called War Man. So none of those, you know, setting the world on fire, but heavy hitters started 30 years ago. Also 30 years ago in Marvel, Avengers 363 under a chromium cover is the first appearance of Death Cry from the Shi'ar, and X-Men Annual 17 is the first appearance of the Executioner, a character that I always liked the design of. Over at DC, 30 years ago, April of 1993, we had Justice League Task Force number one, a series that would run for 37 issues. The first three issues were written by David McLeany, and we had Sal Valuto on art for a number of issues beyond that. This was a title that was obviously trying to capture that edgy quality of something that was going on at Image, like Stormwatch or Brigade or things like that. Later writers would include Mark Wade and Christopher Priest, who would write the series all the way to the end of the run. Um, you could kind of say it was almost even like Justice League meets Suicide Squad. There would there would be different teams and different members, and also different creative teams as well. Martian Manhunter and Gypsy usually made up the core cast of characters. In this first issue, you also had Wally West Flash, Aquaman, and Nightwing. This is another series that I have yet to read. I think I only read the first issue and maybe the zero issue, but I really need to read all of it. Also, 30 years ago from uh, Vertigo, we had Sebastian O, one of three by Grant Morrison and Steve Yowell. This would be about a year before they would work on Invisibles. Justice League Europe would reach issue 50 and then change to Justice League International even though it started as a sister title to Justice League International. Very odd. Sandman reached number 50. 
with The Ramadan Story by Neil Gaiman and P. Craig Russell. Over at Valiant, we had the first issue for Turok, Dinosaur Hunter, which would run for 47 issues. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, discovered Bart Sears on that title. Also, 30 years ago, April of 1993, the first issue of Sonic the Hedgehog from Archie that would run for 290 issues and would end in 2016 before it would go to IDW, I think. And I think that was billed as like the longest running comic based on a video game ever, maybe. Uh, all right, so then let's go to your Superman question for 30 years ago, April of 1993. We were right smack in the death of Superman and funeral for a friend, and we were starting Reign of the Superman. So we had Adventures of Superman issue 500, and then that would spin us off into uh, the four Superman titles that would feature four new characters, more or less. Um, the Man of Steel, which uh, was Steel. The Last Son of Krypton, which was the Eradicator. The Man of Tomorrow, which was Cyborg Superman. And the Metropolis Kid, who was the new clone Superboy. All making their first appearances um, uh, 30 years ago. More, I say more or less because, right, like Super, Cyborg Superman was actually Hank Henshaw and he had already appeared before. Uh, so your question, those characters, Steel, Eradicator, Cyborg Superman, and Superboy, which Superman title did they get featured in? Which Superman title did they take over, basically? Now, one of them is easy. I basically said it. But of the other three, which title were they featured in? Okay, as I mentioned, we're going to keep going here 40, 50, and 60 years ago. Let's go to 40 years ago, April of 1983, giving us the first issue of Ronin, the first of six by Frank Miller, John Costanza, Lynn Varley, with a $2.50 cover price in 1983. Wow. Brave and the Bold 200. That title comes to an end after starting in 1955. That particular issue had Batman and also Batman of Earth 2, plus a special preview of Batman and the Outsiders by Mike W. Barr and Jim Aparo. You could say with the ending of Brave and the Bold, Batman and the Outsiders would take over its publishing slot. All-Star Squadron 23 gave us the first appearance of Amazing Man, Uncanny X-Men 171, is when Rogue would join the team. We are going to be reading her first appearance in Avengers Annual Number 10 in a future CGS episode. Also, 40 years ago, uh, April of 1983, we had Marvel Graphic Novel Number 7, Kill Raven, Warrior, Warrior of the Worlds by Don McGregor and P. Craig Russell. And your Superman question for 40 years ago, April of 1983 comes from DC Comics Presents Annual Number Two, featuring the first appearance of Superwoman in comics by Elliot S. Magan, Keith Pollard, and Mike DiCarlo. Or I should say, the first appearance of this particular version of Super Superwoman. 
So Kristen Wells was a history student from the 29th century who traveled back in time to discover the origin of the holiday known as Miracle Monday and also to figure out who was Superwoman. Uh, Miracle Monday is a novel written by, by Elliot S. Magan that was written in 1981 as a tie-in to the Superman 2 movie, which is where this version of Superwoman made her first appearance. So your question, not only do we learn about Superwoman's origin and who is behind the mask in DC Comics Presents Annual Number 2, we also learn that she is a future descendant of which member of the Superman supporting cast? Let's continue on. 50 years ago, April of 1973, Tomb of Dracula 10 by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan gives us the first appearance of Blade. And I love what he has to say on the cover. Drop that girl, Dracula, or this wooden knife will finish you off forever. Maybe you're hot stuff back in Transylvania, but nobody messes around with Blade the Vampire Slayer. Also from Marvel, Amazing Spider-Man 122, in a story entitled The Goblin's Last Stand, we have uh, the fight between Spider-Man and Goblin, which, which winds up with the death of Green Goblin. Uh, the death of Gwen Stacy was in the previous issue, and I talked about that in the previous Timeline Tuesday for March. We would not see Green Goblin for close to, what, almost 300 issues, I think? Not until the mid-90s? That's incredible. Uh, let's see, Captain America 163 is the first appearance of the Serpent Squad, made up of Viper, Eel, and Cobra not to be confused with the Serpent Society. That would be a pretty good tri trivia question in and, in and of itself. Uh, you know, who were the first three members of the Serpent Squad? Um, from Marvel's magazine side of things, we had Tales of the Zombie number one, featuring the Bronze Age appearance of Simon Garth. This was co-scripted by Roy Thomas and Steve Gerber, drawn by John Buscema and Tom Palmer, based on the character that was created by Stan Lee and Bill Everett in 1953 for Menace Number no. 5 from Atlas Comics. This version and this magazine would last 10 issues and an annual. From DC, we had Adventure Comics 428, uh, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Black Orchid. This is a story by Sheldon Mayer, Tony DeZaniga, with a very cool cover by Bob Oxner. Uh, she would feature in Adventure Comics and then would go to some backup features in Phantom Stranger. She would appear here and there for a while, show up in Suicide Squad, Post Crisis, and then get a total makeover in Black Orchid 1-3 through 3 by Neil Gaiman and Dave McKean and then would star in her own Vertigo series. And you can hear more about Black Orchid on the Daily Rios episode 513, where uh, Ben Lyons and I uh, uh, read that three-issue Black or Orchid miniseries, and we talked about Black Orchid, you know, uh, we did, we did, well, basically it's a British invasion episode where we talk about, you know, the, the British character, the British creators that came over to, to DC and then we talk about Black Orchid, and, and I talk about some of her early appearances. So it's a pretty good episode. Episode 513, if you want to hear more 
about that character. Also 50 years ago, April of 1973, Justice League of America 106, Red Tornado joins the team. Red Tornado came from Earth 2 and had been stranded on Earth 1, so he joins the team. This is also the first appearance of his love interest, Kathy Sutton. This is a character much like Vision over in the Avengers that I I feel Red Tornado is kind of like the personification of of the Justice League of America, even though he does come from Earth 2. He's just one of those characters that, to me, speaks Justice League of America, right? And a good example of this is when Brad Meltzer uh, did a Justice League of America title in 2006. His opening arc was called The Tornado's Path, and he used Red Tornado as a POV character for that opening arc. So it made sense to him, it, it makes sense to me, that just like you use Vision to tell many Avenger stories, you can use the Red Tornado uh, for Justice League stories. So, um, all right, so now your Superman question for 50 years ago, April of 1973. This comes from Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, 132, in a, in a story entitled Second Superman by Carrie Bates and John Rosenberger. Superman has resigned himself to the idea that he can never marry Lois Lane because she will be a constant target for his enemies. So he uses a supercomputer in the fortress to find the perfect mate, the perfect husband for her. And that man is Philip Carnes, a brilliant young biochemist. Eventually, it's revealed that Carnes has super strength. So even though Lois thinks he's Superman, he's really just a man juiced up on a synthetic formula that he invented to give himself a super boost. Your question, this is not fair, but your question, what was the name of that formula? This is one of those questions that I hated during, you know, all the Stump the Rio stuff on CGS because it's so particular and you probably never will hear about this formula again. But to be fair, when I was trying to do a question for 1973, it was really like the only one I could find. So there you go. What is the name of the formula um, that this man invented in, in Lois Lane 132? And now let's go 60 years ago, April of 1963. Again, this is one of those years that I covered already in 2013 in the Daily Rios episode for April 22nd, 2013, same episode as before. Um, at that time, I talked about Amazing Spider-Man number three, Batman 156, Green Lantern 21, Journey into Mystery 93, and Flash 137, all from... 1963, they were celebrating 50 years. Now they're celebrating 60 years. So the things that I missed, surprisingly, uh, let's see, GI Combat celebrated one, 100 issues in April of 1963. Strange Tales 110 is the first appearance of Doctor Strange and the Ancient One and Nightmare by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. So Doctor Strange celebrating 60 years as of April of 1963, or as of this April. And also, My Greatest Adventure, number 80, the first appearance of the Doom Patrol 60 years ago. 
by Arnold Drake, Bob Haney, and Bruno Premiani. Uh, the first appearances of The Chief, Robot Man, Elastigirl, Negative Man, even General Immortus. So it's kind of a no-brainer that they are getting a new title for Dawn of DC called Unstoppable Doom Patrol. So your Superman question for 60 years ago, April of 1963, comes from Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, 69, by Edmund Hamilton and Kurt Swan. In this story, Superman and Jimmy travel to the bottled city of Kandor and once again don the identities of Nightwing and Flamebird. They are caught up in yet another adventure, and in this adventure, Jimmy Olsen befriends an alien dog and frees him from his cruel master. Putting a mask and cape on this yellow dog-like creature, what code name does Jimmy give the dog? Okay, before I get to the answer, since we are celebrating 85 years of the first appearance of Superman in Action Comics number one, I have to give you a trivia question based on Action Comics number one. So here you go. Your question. Not counting Superman... How many people, or criminals if you want to say, how many people are on the cover? Okay, here you go. Here are your answers for all of your Superman trivia questions. Ten years ago, name the writer that immediately followed Morrison for three issues. That would be Andy Diggle. To be fair, it's probably Andy Diggle and Tony Daniel because by the time... Issue 20 came around, they were co-plotting, but I was really looking for Andy Diggle. For 20 years ago in Superman Red Sun, the Superman supporting character that uh, turned the Batman character into an orphan, that would be Pete Ross, who was known in this story as Piotr Rosliff. 30 years ago, uh, let's see, the four characters and the four titles that they were featured in. Like I said, the obvious one was Man of Steel. That featured Steel. The Eradicator was in Action Comics. Superboy was in Adventures of Superman. And the Cyborg Superman took over the Superman title. Forty years ago, your question for DC Comics presents annual number number two. Kristen Wells is the future descendant of Jimmy Olsen. She is the great-great-granddaughter of James Olsen IV. Fifty years ago, the formula featured in that Lois Lane comic, the formula is entitled Adrenaline X. Again, not a fair question, but there you go. Sixty years ago, the dog that Jimmy Olsen befriends in his comic he puts a mask and a cape on him, and he calls him Nighthound. And lastly, your question uh, for Action Comics number one. Uh, how many people are on the cover, not counting Superman, and assuming that there's nobody in the car? The answer is three. You have one criminal that is running towards us. You have one criminal that is running away from the car in the background, and you have one that is cowering underneath and watching Superman demolish the car. All right, there you go, your Timeline Tuesday segment covering some comic history, some trivia, 
and celebrating Superman all in one. Hope you enjoyed that segment. New Comics Wednesday. New Comics Wednesday for the week of April 19th. Before I get to my recommendations, I got another DCBS shipment this week. So I thought I would just, you know, give a few thoughts on books that I received that were released uh, at the end of March and up through sort of like the middle to end of April starting with just some usual ones. You know, I got Danger Street number 5, Nightwing 102 and 103, Saga 63, The Gimmick number 2 from Ahoy, which I did a review of a few digests back. And I also got Sereno number 1 from CEX Publishing. That, that stands for Comics Experience Publishing. And that book is by Luciano Vecchio. I got the Superman number one homage cover because I'm a sucker for that. Uh, there's a, there's an upcoming Cerebus in Hell issue by Dave Sim that uh, I don't want to support, but it it's a cover featuring, or I should say it's a cover spoofing Teen Titans 23, which is the cover that gave us the new Wonder Girl look in her jumpsuit attire by Nick Cardi, and, you know, I'm kind of struggling, uh, you know, do I get that Cerebus Hell issue because of that? I got some other comics that also homaged that cover, so it's like, oh, I, I really want it. Um, CEX, this might be the first book that I got from CEX, and CEX is has Andy Schmidt as president and publisher. It is basically the sister publishing company to Comics Experience, which is an online website that offers classes and courses and master courses. We used to talk to Andy Schmidt on CGS way back in the day, all the way back in 2009. He ran some panels at the Super Show for 2011. And as I mentioned, it's still active to this day, giving you some online courses. So if you've never checked out Comics Experience, you you really should. Also in this uh, package, in this shipment, I got back issue 142, which is the all super issue, talking about Superboy stories in the Bronze Age that are not with the Legion of Superheroes. Also Super Goof, Super Soul Comics, Super Richie Rich, Super Dagwood, Interviews with Gerard Christopher and Stacey Heideck from the Superboy live uh, live action TV series, and much more. I got a couple comics that are about ready to end. Dark Knights 10, Black Adam 9 and 10. So we got two issues for both of those series. I do wonder, once they wrap up Black Adam, will he have any appearance in the new Mark Wade Dan Mora series that's beginning in May? Because even though Mark Wade is basically swimming within DC Bronze Age with World's Finest, and then there's going to be a new Teen Titan series, um, where does Black Adam fit in, right? And if he is in those Mark Wade stories, he really doesn't have to reflect anything 
that Christopher Priest is writing. He doesn't even have to reflect the way that he was during, you know, like the 52 weekly series or the JSA series. So uh, it'll be curious. It'll be curious to see if Mark Wade um, puts him in that Shazam series. And then the last thing I got that I want to talk about, Naomi Hardcover Season 2. That's the intro music that you heard for the TV show. Um, I really liked Season 1. This is by Bendis and Jamal Campbell and uh, David Walker. Um, I probably have to read Season 1 again because I, I remember some of it but not all of it. And her story just isn't in my brain yet. And she has, you know, some connections to the larger multiverse when you read her origin. I have not read or I have not seen the TV series. It got canceled after one season. But it has uh, Captain Comet, who's my guy. I love Captain Comet. So I kind of have to see it. And uh, the series, the, the comic series made me a fan of Jamal Campbell and his artwork. So I had to get the second hardcover, and then I'll read both of those, and maybe I'll talk about them in a future uh, digest. All right, here you go. Here are your recommendations for April 19th, starting off from Scout Comics, the Chispa line, which is a focus on Latinx creators. We have Black Demon Tales 1 of 3 by Hector Rodriguez, Vincencio Sanson, and Joe Borcado. The Chispa Initiative was announced in 2021, so now we're finally seeing some titles. This is $4.99. I think it's the first comic to be released in the Chispa line. And this is about, um, it's an anthology based on the lore of real Mexican fishermen blended with indigenous beliefs, and it is about a massive shark and there's some other stories, and it's also a major motion picture, which you can go look at the trailer for. Uh, we have from Abrams, The Last the Last Count of Monte Cristo by Aziz Jama Everett and Tristan Roach. This is a bold retelling of the classic tale of love, betrayal, and revenge and redemption by Dumas, and this is a, an Afro-futuristic reinterpretation, and it's a graphic novel that updates and reclaims the cultural heritage of Dumas's tale and suggests a future hundreds of years after the polar ice caps have melted and submerged our planet into a new era of technology and culture, a future that could threaten the human race if we continue to destroy our planet. That's $24.99. From Dark Horse, Ask for Mercy Trade Paper, Trade Paperback Volume 1, by Richard Starkings and Abigail Jill Harding. Uh, this is $29.99. A World War II fantasy horror story in the tradition of John Carpenter's The Thing and Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. And the artwork reminds me a bit of Brett Weldelay or Riley Rosmo or a combination of the two. So go check out that trade paperback. From DC, we have Girl Taking Over, a Lois Lane story graphic novel by Sarah Kuhn and Ariel uh, Jovolanos, and this is $16.99, a young adult story about about the strength it takes to embrace the messiness of life. 
Also look out for DC Silent Tales, a one-shot for $5.99. This is a print version of the stories that are on the DC app by Gustavo Duarte, a Brazilian cartoonist and comics artist, and all the stories uh, are humor and they are all silent. So we have a story about Harley Quinn, Superman, Cyborg, but the entire book is told in silent comic form. And then lastly, from Dawn of DC, Superboy, Man of Tomorrow, One of Six, written by Kenny Porter, with art by Janoy Lindsay. And this is $3.99. This takes place after Dark Crisis, where Connor Kent feels out of place on Earth, so he decides to go into space and see if he can find new adventures and can find... Uh, you know, a new place that he can call his own. All right, there you go. Your recommendations for April 19th. If you listened to last week's digest on the Friday segment, I had a request for some feedback for about the future of the digest in general for year three, but particular, uh, particularly also uh, some feedback about this Wednesday segment as well. So do yourself a favor and go listen to that Friday segment. The final episode of Picard Season 3 dropped today, April 20th, and even though I won't be talking about it here, uh, I wanted to celebrate just how amazing Picard Season 3 has been. So Shane and I are going to do one more CGS episode on Picard to wrap it all up, and that will be released in a few, you know, within the week, if you hadn't heard, if you haven't heard it already. Instead... Uh, for this Throwback Thursday, I thought it would be fun to go back to that day in 1987, September 28th, and relive those first few minutes of the Star Trek series that I really grew up with, the Star Trek series that made me a fan. I may have seen Star Trek IV in the movies. I certainly saw some Star Trek movies on HBO or regular television, But Star Trek The Next Generation is the series that made me a fan. So to continue the celebration that is Picard Season 3, I thought it would be cool to go back to the beginning once again. Enjoy. Captain's Log, Stardate 41153.7. Our destination is planet Deneb 4 beyond which lies the great unexplored mass of the galaxy. My orders are to examine Farpoint, a starbase built there by the inhabitants of that world. Meanwhile, I am becoming better acquainted with my new command, this galaxy-class USS Enterprise. I am still somewhat in awe of its size and complexity. As for my crew, we are short in several key positions, most notably a first officer, but I'm informed that a highly experienced man, one Commander William Riker, will be waiting to join the ship at our Deneb 4 destination. 
You will agree, Data, that Starfleet's orders are difficult. Difficult? Simply solve the mystery of Farpoint Station. As simple as that. Farpoint Station. Even the name sounds mysterious. It's hardly simple, Data, to negotiate a friendly agreement for Starfleet to use the base while at the same time snoop around, finding out how and why the life form there built it. Inquiry. The word... Snoop? Data, how can you be programmed as a virtual encyclopedia of human information without knowing a simple word like snoop? Possibility. A kind of human behavior I was not designed to emulate. It means, um... To, uh, spy, to sneak. Ah, to seek covertly, to go stealthily, to slink, slither. Exactly, yes. Glide, creep, skulk, pussyfoot, gum. Yes, shoe. Captain, I'm sensing a a powerful mind. Something strange on this detector circuit. It is Friday. It is the last segment of this digest. And this is a five for Friday. Five small topics that I couldn't fit elsewhere this week. Or maybe they just uh, couldn't support a full segment. So I'm going to put them all here at the end of this digest. Starting with a podcast suggestion to continue the Superman 85th anniversary celebration, go and listen to the Superman Super Show, hosted by Stephen Orr and Ed Moore, (laughs) the podcast team of Orr and Moore. The Superman Super Show celebrated 50 episodes on April 17th, taking a look at Superman issue number 6. They are going through all of the Superman appearances in the Golden Age in order. And they, uh, they started out as a live YouTube show in March of 2022. And then they released their first podcast audio episode on April 18th, 2022. So they are also celebrating uh, a year of podcasting. Uh, In that particular episode, episode 50, they also talk about the new Superman comic from Dawn of DC. And the Superman Super Show is just one of many, 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 many Superman shows, uh, Superman podcasts that have been created throughout comic podcast history. Steven also did a journey through the Death of Superman event and is starting to go through the 1980s John Byrne era, uh, starting with Man of Steel. Coming next week to Paramount, Scream 6 will finally be released for streaming. Yay, I cannot wait. I talked very briefly about the Scream franchise uh, last year because I did uh, a big watch of all the Scream movies before, before number 5 dropped. 
And I remember at the time talking about, you know, I, I had yet to finish the MTV Scream series. I still haven't finished it beyond the first episode. But I am here for this franchise. I definitely will be watching soon enough for the sixth installment because I can't get enough, first of all, of that franchise and uh, of the story. And I'm very curious to see how they do uh, this sixth chapter uh, since it got a, a whole boost with, with the fifth one. Speaking of horror, coming April 23rd is Amityville and Origin Story, a miniseries on MGM+. And this is, gonna, this is a documentary telling the behind-the-scenes story for the book, for the movie, all about the famous Amityville murders. And it's going to have firsthand accounts from witnesses, family members, former investigators, many of whom are appearing on camera for, for the first time, Archive, archival footage, newly unearthed images, original photography, and it's all going to weave together to tell the Amityville story. I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait. I, I remember watching this movie as a kid. It freaked me out. So anything that had to do with the cellar in the house that I grew up in, uh, our cellar had this cement portion um, that was basically the coal closet. It's where you kept coal, right? Like, you know, because I'm old enough that these houses, even if they weren't run on, run, even if they didn't run on coal, they used to. And uh, we had this one section that was, it basically reminded me of that cellar section in Amityville, which was, you know, just freaked me out. Uh, eventually, I would read the book. I remember one version of the book I had, they drew flies on some of the pages, and the flies would multiply as you went through some of the chapters. There's something about seeing eyes outside of a window and in our living room at the time, we had this giant window that faced the street. And I swear I remember seeing eyes out of that window. Yeah, this was a movie that also kind of messed me up. You know, when I think about it, Gen X, is it any any wonder the way we are? Like, we grew up with the whole, this, this like horror movie, uh, you know, creation, I guess you could say. At least in terms of how horror movies began in the 70s, you know, things like The Exorcist and Amityville Horror and uh, Omen and then eventually, you know, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Texas Chainsaw, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Scanners, Carrie, I mean, just all those, it's, is it any wonder our psyche is the way it is, right? So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, let's see, the fourth uh, the fourth one here for Five for Friday. On April 16th, the final curtain dropped for Phantom of the Opera, which at that time was Broadway's longest-running show. It ran uh, for 13,981 performances at the Majestic Theater. It opened in London in 1986. It opened on Broadway January 26th, 1988, and they finally decided to close it down. The original production was directed by Hal Prince, choreographer Jillian Lynn, and set and costume design Maria Bjornsson. 
Andrew Lloyd Webber was at that final performance, including many of the actors that either were in the original production or throughout its run. Um, He dedicated the final show to his son, Nick, who died last month after a battle with gastric cancer and pneumonia. He was only 43 years old. I saw a tour of this production that came through Philly during my college years. Um, It obviously was spectacle and was a huge mega musical. And I remember having such a good time. It was one of those shows that I enjoy listening to, I think more than actually watching, but it has a huge fandom and it has a place in musical theater history. Uh, (laughs) I think I saw on Twitter People were saying, oh boy, I can't wait to see how Phantom of the the Opera translates to high school stages if they ever decide to release the rights to do this version. With the closing of Phantom of the Opera, that means the longest running show currently on Broadway now goes to Chicago, which started in 1996. And finally for your five for friday yesterday was april 20th 420 and while i haven't uh, hmm, celebrated that holiday for a very 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 long time probably you know my college days if that um those that do celebrate i hope you had a good time april 22nd tomorrow is earth day after all so uh yeah there you go happy happy 420 all right that's it for this digest those were your five for friday and that completes this digest email me peter at the dailyrios.com or go visit the daily rios website or the daily rios instagram follow me on twitter peter j rios review me on your favorite podcast catcher let me know if you have a podcast catcher that i am not on Send me your book club recommendations. Send me some promos. This has been The Daily Rios, episode 613 for Saturday, April 22nd, 2023. Talk to you soon.